Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us to have you here as a visitor, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we had a wonderful Friends Day last Sunday, and those of you that invited, uh, it is uh, a great encouragement. Let's make sure that that becomes a part of our life. And if you're here uh, after visiting last Sunday and visiting again this Sunday, we thank you for being here again. We hope that you'll come back uh, many, many times. It is wonderful to see all the visitors that did come last week. We have about 100 of our young people away this weekend. They will be returning uh, shortly from a retreat. They left Friday afternoon. We appreciate all the adults that work with them and our young people that want to be a part of a spiritual weekend like that. Also, Curd Road is, is the closest congregation to us geographically. Uh, they're just about a mile down the road. They're having a homecoming. It's at West Wilson uh, Middle School, and it's just between here and the interstate, the school on the left. And they are inviting us to come and to eat lunch with them, to be a part of their afternoon service. Probably around 1.30 or 2 o'clock, they'll begin their afternoon service. And they would love to have us be a part of that. If, if you uh, can do that, it would be good for you and it'd be good for them. It'd just be good all the way around. And so if uh, you can do that this afternoon, make the time to do that. That would be a good thing. Paul went to Thessalonica and he was run out of town because he turned the world upside down. He fled to Berea. There he found some that were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what was taught was really so. But the people of Thessalonica found that he was down in Berea and so they came and ran him out of Berea. He goes to Athens and the scripture that was just read said he went there to wait. Ah, a lot of people though in his day and time would have said, what a place to wait. That was like a tourism capital. That was the place to go if you wanted to see great, great structures, if you wanted to see architectural wonders, if you wanted to see carvings and etc. As a matter of fact, the Parthenon that we have in Nashville is a replica of what would have been the crowning feature of Athens, Greece of that day and time. Built around 4 to 500 B.C., within it was their goddess that, that was over 42 feet in height, Athenia. And... Here in Nashville, in the 80s, a sculptor was commissioned to build a similar statue. And then in recent years, it's been gold-leafed with 24-karat gold. It's the tallest indoor statue in the Western Hemisphere. Now you can imagine, if that's still the case today, if that was just one of the many sites that was in Athens, Greece of that time, you can imagine the kind of city that that was to visit. There they had many gods. As many as matter of fact, some scholars say that there were more gods in Athens than there were men. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if right now we commissioned somebody and said, hey, will, will you take this rock back with you to your home this afternoon? And if you will, just chisel out us a god. We'd like to have another God to worship. If you will, create us a God. And, and by the way, when you bring the God back this evening, be sure and tell us who this God is. Go ahead and name it. And then tell us what this God would want us to do in order to serve and to worship this God. That sounds far-fetched. As a matter of fact, the last scripture that was just read said that the Almighty God is not made of gold or silver or of stone. But yet, in the world of idolatry, People really do believe 
that a God can be made by man's hands out of resources of the earth. How do you stand on that? Do you think that God is a God that we can transform with our own hands? Or do you believe that God is a God who should transform our lives? You see, that's what we'll study today is the idea of there have and are those that try to form God. There are others that submit their life and say, God, I want to be formed by you. And whether that forming God is is to form a structure or maybe it's just to form a God within. Tonight we'll look at several passages where it even says that God is your belly. In other words, we've created our own God within us. But as we think about this, I'd like for you to take your eyes back, if you will, to the 17th chapter and verse 16 that was read. And notice at the very end how it describes the city. Paul was waiting in Athens. The spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, if you take that and couple it also with the description in 23 where he says, I've seen an altar, and the inscription of that altar is to the unknown God. Those are the only two lines that Paul says, I want to talk to you about your city. And that's absolutely amazing. Because this was a city that when other people wrote about it, they wrote volumes about the grandeur of this city. An historian in the same time period of Paul, he wrote six volumes about Greece. And the longest writing, what took up the most space, was when he wrote about Athens. People would travel long distance to see this city. This city that was covered with the temples, with the statues, with the gods, with the altars. Now, I ask you, What would lead any individual or any culture of people to start worshiping gods? How can anybody convince you to form your own god? How can anybody convince a a society, a civilization, to become pagan in their thinking? You may want to hold your finger here, but let's spend a little time in Romans. Go to Romans, the first chapter. In Romans, the first chapter, we have insight here to how this happens. In Romans, the first chapter, we see in verse 21, and this links to, of course, verse 20, where we can look at the creation of the world, and in it, we see the attributes of God. And then in 21, they knew this God, but notice how this declined into idolatry. They knew God, but they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, in other words, in gratitude. They became futile in their thoughts. You see, now their thought process is changing. Now their thoughts are more about immorality than being godly. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now notice, at this point, they've moved completely away from God. They now have begun thinking that what their thoughts are must be wisdom, But in this, they think that they've created something grand. When actually, it's darkness. It's foolishness. Oh, no, this is enlightenment. This is wisdom. Now, notice as we read on. Once they change their mind, notice what else they decide they want to change. 23. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animal, and creeping things. Let's pause there for just a moment. So we're going to commission someone to go home and make a God this afternoon, but we've got a problem. How are we going to make him? Do you want him to be a four-footed animal? Somebody else says, no, I want him to be a bird. 
we got a problem. We have to decide. We're going to make our own God. What are we going to make Him like? Well, you can count on this. He'll be like something man-made. Can't be otherwise. He'll be man-made. And not only will He be something that's copied from what God has already made, look as we read on what else is going to change in 24 and 25. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies among themselves, who exchanged, note, note this, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. How did this happen? He sums up at the end how this happened. They decided to start worshiping the creature instead of the creator. They exchanged the truth for a lie. So someone says, how can anybody ever get to the point of idolatrous worship? It's easy if we want to look at it this way. We stop worshiping the creator and we stop following the truth. And the end will always be idolatry. Now, it may not always be that we have a statue set up in front of our house or even inside our house. But it is the fact that we have become idolatrous in the sense that we've left the Almighty God and something else has been formed in our place of the Almighty God. As we think about that, I think about as we go back to our text there in Acts the 17th chapter in verse 16. Notice that same verse again, except notice this time we have something else underlined in our screen. Notice how Paul reacted to this. And his spirit was provoked within him. That's interesting when you think about Paul had gone into a city that a lot of people would have loved to visit. They would have loved to just walk around it in his day and time or even in our day and time. Where's that recorded for Paul? Where does it talk about Paul enjoying this city so much? It doesn't. Instead, it says he went to this city and his emotions are provoked. He's angry. Paul can't believe what he's seeing. His heart is breaking for these people. We don't see him gawking at all the beauty. We don't see him being amazed at all of the gods. We don't see him saying, I'm going to spend the afternoon here and I'm going to spend tomorrow morning there. Instead... In a town that it appears everybody there is happy with paganism. As a matter of fact, when we read in verse 17, we read about Paul going into the synagogue with the Jews and note the absence of any response there. You know, usually when Paul went to synagogues, he had some pretty good success, at least with some of them. This is one of those rare towns where Paul goes in and we don't know of any success that he had in the synagogue. You think maybe the Jews were even becoming apathetic to the thought of the one almighty God. Maybe they too were being influenced by paganism. And then we read about the Gentiles in the marketplace, and the point was they were all relying in verse 18 upon philosophers like the Epicureans or the Stoics. And then uh, the Areopagus in verse uh, 22 and following, that council that would have been the judgment council, been the council of wisdom that would have set, and then their thoughts and their judgments would have been highly esteemed. Everybody was comfortable. Everybody seemed to like it, except Paul. You ever been there? I'm not talking about Athens. Have you ever been in a situation where everybody seems to like it? And your spiritual heart is breaking. Go back to Romans 1 again. 
In Romans 1, we read about the end of those that their God becomes an idol. He talks about the sexual sins that they will participate in. And in 29, he gives a list of sin, such as all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now note 32 who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such thing are deserving of death. Now, pause right there for a moment. So he's giving us a picture. He says, let me show you how people move from knowing God to the point that they create their own God, a four-footed creature, or like a bird. The point is this. They just leave the Creator, and they start worshiping the creation. They leave the truth, and they start living a lie. They do things like this. They practice homosexuality. They practice sexual immorality. They lie to each other. They murder. They covet. They disobey their parents. Wait a minute. That's just sounding like a list of sin. Well, we can't live a life of sin and claim to be a follower of the Almighty God. You see, when it's all boiled down, there's not much difference in idolaters and those that simply don't follow God. We are either transforming God or God is transforming us. It's that simple. We're either allowing God to shape us so that we're not like the list we just read, or we're trying to shape God in the sense that, oh, I, I believe he's okay with that. I don't believe God really minds this. I don't think it really means what it says when it says that. Oh, we have all kind of ways that we try to reshape God. We'll look at even a few of those tonight. But notice the rest of 32. Those that do these such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. What a conclusion. It's not only those that do all this long list of things that we said, but it's also those that sit back and they watch others that do those things and they say, hmm, that's okay. I look pretty good. I know not many adults have posters hanging in their room. But they'll have posters hanging in the heart. Teenagers have posters hanging in the room. Who is it you admire? Who is it you like? Who is it you'd like to change places with? You know, when, when for our kids not long ago, the greatest icon that, that influenced probably the most young girls in, in our nation was a young woman that's divorced two or three times, a pitiful mother, can't find enough clothes to wear, and she sings about every sexual and moral thing that there is. And a lot of our kids from 11 years old and up would say, oh, she's my hero. And what did we just read? You commit those things, you're worthy of death. Or if you approve of those that commit such things, you're worthy of death. Who are our heroes? Would we approve of a sinner 
but yet try out of the other side of our mouth to say, oh, but I never do those things. Oh, I buy their CDs. I watch their movies. Oh, but I never do those things. How's that add up? Well, it doesn't. It's the same damnation as the ones that do it. Oh, but you couldn't go to many movies today if... Oh, so you mean if you followed God, God would reshape your activities? No, I'd rather shape God. I like the shape of God where I can just say God doesn't care what I watch. That's the shape that I've made my God. I'll carve him out and bring him back to you tonight and I'll name him. He's the tolerant God that doesn't worry about immorality on TV or in the movies. What shape have we made God? Or has God shaped us? We really, when we look at the heart, it comes down as this described in 1 John 2. Look with me, if you will, 1 John 2. You probably know this passage well. This is our challenge. Friends, if any of us could say, I've got 1 John 2, 15, 16, 17 down pat, we would be perfect. So we're not saying, hey, who here has it all together? We're saying, who here that this is their mark? This is what they're striving to become. And, and this forms your life. This shapes you. 1 John 2 and 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Now notice the end. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Friends, it's what we love. Can I honestly say, I love the things God loves. I hate the things God hates. That's what we have to be moving toward. That's what we have to be becoming every day. And the danger is when the world does the worldly things and we sit back and we say, oh, that's pretty neat. Oh, that was good. Hey, I would pay to see that again. Oh, I'll buy that. What are we thinking? Are we really thinking that we can shape our own God in some way? Verse 17 just isn't true. It's not going to pass away for me. It's not going to be the end of temporal things for me. Friends, the Almighty God is eternal. The gods you and I would create are temporal. And we have to decide, do we want to stay with the Creator and the truth that's eternal or serve the fleshly desires, the desires of the creature following lies which have temporal benefit and eternal punishment. With this in mind, let's go back to Paul in Acts the 17th chapter. And let's notice how he stood in the midst of people that were very religious. 
But apparently no one was saved. Because you see there in verse 22 and 23 that's already uh, been read in our text. See at the end of 23 when he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And then he even notes some things of their religion, how they had objects of your worship and even found an altar that had an inscription to the unknown God. And he says, Therefore of whom you worship without knowing Him I proclaim to you. You see how religious they were? They were very religious. He says, I see your objects of religion. I see your altars where you offered sacrifice. I see the inscriptions that you have written where you talk about gods. I see the very fact that you worship. Very religious. Well, what was the problem? When we back up, look back in verse 18. In verse 18, he said, midway through, uh, he's, he's talked about the Epicureans, the Stoic philosophers, and counted him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They were religious. But when they heard of Jesus and the topic of the resurrection, they thought that must be two gods that they hadn't heard from before. Okay, Babbler, go ahead and tell us about these other gods, Jesus and the resurrection. How can you be so religious and be so wrong? That's the point that I need to get right now. Religion alone has never saved anyone. Here were folks very religious. But the problem is they had no intentions of being shaped by the Almighty God. Friends, today we can be real religious. We can have objects of religion. We can have activities of religion. We can have inscriptions and names and titles out where people can read of the fact that we believe in God, we believe in Jesus. But what is that if our life hasn't been changed? As we close, I would like for you to look at this next slide as we think about so many ignorant and how God was revealed to them by Paul. And I'd like for you to see these three things as we close. Number one, our God is not on house restriction. In the text that's already been read in 24, notice it was God who made the world and everything in it since He is the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. They were accustomed to someone making their God, someone making the temple. They'd place their God in the temple, and they'd come by and visit their God whenever they wanted to visit their God. They'd come by and make an offering to their God whenever they wouldn't come by and make an offering to their God. If they wanted to worship that God, they would come right to their God's house. Because in a sense of speaking, their God was on house restriction. How many of us treat God as if He's on house restriction? Oh, we wouldn't say it verbally, but we treat God as if He lives right here in this very building. Because we don't act like God is with us on Monday. We don't act like God was with us on Friday or Saturday night. Friends, we didn't shape God. And we didn't build His house and place Him in it. God's with us. I do well to understand that the God that wants to shape me loves me and wants to protect me. And if I heed His commands or if I rebel against His commands, He's there. He sees it. 
He's not man-made. Look at verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. You see, he's the one that created us. He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that's given us all things. Verse 29, he talks about this again. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we're the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. We're children of God. Now, you and I can look at ourselves and know that we didn't come from gold. We didn't come from silver. We didn't come from stone. Also, we know about the divine nature of God, this very fact. He's not the result of man's artwork. He's not the result of man's devices. You ever notice that something can be beautiful that's man-made, but if it's God-made, sometimes it is just unbelievable. When we were flying to El Salvador uh, recently in March, we were breaking through a lot of heavy clouds and fog as we ascended from Atlanta. And I know many of us here have seen beautiful sights while flying. But I tell you, I've never seen one that the entire plane reacted to. When we broke through that fog, the clouds, many of you remember it, the sun was rising over that scenery that was just multiple colors. It was just unbelievable. If some man would have painted something like that, we would say it was not realistic. But God's hand, God's amazing. Holding newborn. Not man-made. God-made. Play with a six-week-old puppy. Not man-made, God-made. Feel God's forgiveness as we come out of the waters of baptism. Not man-made, God-made. I've got to get something through my mind. There's no reason for me to want to make God. Because it's going to be so weak and so pitiful. And if I would just let God be God and let Him be the Lord of my life and stop trying to make Him and let Him instead make me, I'm then going to come to realize the greatest life that there is to live. Me. And my life, my convictions, and my behavior, my heart, my hopes, allowing all that to be man-made, God-made, is so much better than man-made. But notice that final point. God's not a long distance away. As we extend the invitation, think about verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. God's not a long distance God. He came and dwelt among us, John 1 and 14. He wants to live within each one of us. He wants us to live our life within Him. He wants to come back and receive us to His own, that He can take us before the Father, and we can live face to face for an eternity. Friends, God is not far from us. 
If anything's separating us, it's because we've allowed our sin to separate us. But God doesn't want to be that far from us. He wants us to be saved. He wants to be close to us. God is real. And He wants to be real in our lives. Not in a house. Not by my making. But real in the way that He transforms me this morning. Have you been transformed by God? Are you still trying to form your own God? We'll continue this thought tonight, but if you want to be baptized into Christ for remission of sins, if you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess before men, won't you be baptized to wash those sins away? That's what God can do for us. And He can give us the instruction and the strength and the courage to live a new life. Maybe you have begun that new life, but you haven't lived it out. And you want to repent of sins and confess sin and pray forgiveness. Let's all leave here this morning with the determination that we want to be shaped by God. Let's let Him have His way and take control in our life. And if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.